Uh, we are going to continue today in our Make Room series. We are all the way up to number 11 of a 13-part series. So next week we get to talk about making room for God to move in worship, which is probably the one I'm looking forward to the most in the series because I love teaching on worship. Uh, the week after that we're going to talk about making room for the lost uh, as we head gear up towards Easter weekend. Um, Easter weekend, as you probably know, we'll have a good Friday service over at Olive Branch City Park. The service will be at 6.15, but we'll open up about 5 and have free barbecue and just hang out and fellowship until the service begins. It'll be from about 6.15 to 7 p.m. Um, Saturday, we'll have a block party here in our parking lot and down on the back. Um, you've probably got a card like this in your seat that gives you an opportunity to sign up for that. So that's Saturday, April the 8th for uh, the block party. Um, you can serve on the setup team, on the teardown team, on actually manning a station during the block party. Or you can just say, hey, I'm all in. We'll do the whole shebang on Saturday. Lots of opportunities to serve for the block party. You can drop those in the buckets uh, when you give any week between now and then or in our giving stations on your way out the door. You want to make sure that you can lock that in. And then obviously we have Easter Sunday, uh, 9, 15, and 11. I encourage you to get here a little early on Easter because uh, this place will probably be full. It's one of those days that, that everybody comes to church um, and we see people get saved at this every year. And so we're going to talk the week before Easter about making room for the lost because we want to believe God for salvation on Easter Sunday. So that's where we're headed. Today we're going to talk about perhaps the least exciting thing in the series, at least for some of us. Uh, we're going to talk about making room for generosity. We're going to talk about giving. And I know for some of you, you're like, man, I don't like hearing about giving. Man, you, you start hearing these talks and you immediately grab at your wallet. You immediately get a little bit defensive uh, and, and a little standoffish. And so can I say if that's you, you don't like these messages, I'm going to share a little secret with you and be very transparent and honest. I don't like preaching them. Uh, this, this, is, this is my insecurity. I grew up in the 80s and 90s in Christianity when we had all kinds of scandals, all kinds of rip-off televangelists, and we saw lots of people abuse teaching on giving. And so I always have a hesitancy to go here because I know what some of you have been through. You gave thousands of dollars to a scam artist. You, you, you saw your parents give away your inheritance to somebody who said they were one thing and did something else. And so I know there is a tension when it comes to this area. Um, I hope you guys know my heart. Uh, I, I hope you know the heart of our church and our heart to be generous and to be a blessing. Um, I'm hesitant to speak on these things. However, I also know that this is a lot of biblical truth in this area. Um, I know that you are going to be blessed when you give. Uh, and I also know that the kingdom is going to be enhanced when you give. And so we're going to talk today, as we have over the last few weeks, and we've talked about prayer and serving um, and, and some other categories. We've looked at it through the lens of City Church, but we've said, hey, this has greater application outside of City Church as well. Right? You don't just serve in your church. You serve in your neighborhood, at your workplace, in your family, and all these things. But we kind of contextualized it to the church. We're going to do the same thing today a little bit. We're going to contextualize giving to City Church. This is not a limit on what giving is about. This is not all that God has called you to be in generosity. God has called us to be gener generous outside these doors 
as well. But we do believe that God has a purpose for believers when it comes to giving. So today we're going to talk about making room for generosity. 1 Timothy chapter 6 is going to be our key text today. I'm going to share a couple of verses with you towards the end of the chapter. Then later on we're going to back up and go a little bit earlier in the chapter. But 1 Timothy 6 says this. The Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy who is a pastor. He's a young pastor, uh, which I used to consider myself a young pastor. I don't know if I qualify as a young pastor anymore. Shout out, by the way, to everybody who helped out with our work day yesterday. Um, I am feeling the work day. I used to be able to do a work day and come in and preach two services, and I'm good, and I'm dragging today. Like, I'm tired. Uh, like My body hurts. Uh, I, I think Hunter, like, shouted out guests, and I was like, woo, and I sounded like I was going through puberty again. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not at the top of my game today. And I apologize in advance, but, but this is what Paul says. He says, command those who are rich, everybody say rich, who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. So sometimes when people gain wealth, they, they think they did it, right? They think that they're blessed because of their actions. And certainly there are actions that can help. There's stewardship principles. There's generosity principles. There's work ethic um, there are things that we can do to position ourselves for wealth. But he says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. If there's one thing I think Americans have been guilty of, it's this. We love to put our hope in wealth. We love to put our hope in our 401k. We love to put our hope in, in our economic situation, in our career path, in our job. Uh, and the reality is that, that we're supposed to worship God and use money, but for so many of us, we worship money and use God. Uh, and so Paul says, command those who have wealth not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in their wealth. Why? Because it's so uncertain. We've seen that, haven't we? The uncertainty of wealth, we've seen jobs disappear overnight, we've seen people go on furlough, we've seen an economy turn upside down, we've seen prices skyrocket. I don't know how often you've been to, to the grocery store or out to eat lately, but man, you do, it doesn't go as far as it used to. You don't get as much for the same amount of money. Why? Because wealth is uncertain. The economy is uncertain. He says, instead, put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So Paul isn't teaching Timothy to teach poverty. He's not telling Timothy to tell people to get rid of all their stuff and never have anything to enjoy. He says God wants to richly provide us with everything for our enjoyment. God wants you to be blessed. God wants you to have things to provide for your family. He wants you to be able to enjoy this world, not just survive this world. But where's your hope? Where's your foundation? If it's in your job, if it's in your checking account, if it's in your RV or, or your recreational equipment or your vacation you're going on next or whatever that is financial, he says, man, we, we need to start to shift our hope. Let's put our hope on something a little more certain. Let's put our hope on something a little more guaranteed. If you get on a plane these days, there's no guarantee that the plane's going to leave when it's supposed to. There's no guarantee that it's going to arrive when it's supposed to. There's no guarantee your bags are going to get there when you do, right? Like, why? Because things are uncertain right now. But we have someone who is certain. 
We have a hope that can always be counted on. And so let's not lower our hope to the things of this world. Let's raise our hope to the one who transcends this world. This is what Paul is teaching Timothy to share with others. Um, I, I want to share with you this morning what I would call good news, bad news. I want to give you some good news and some bad news this morning. Number one, let's start with the good news. I'm a good news guy. I'm a preacher of the gospel. The gospel is good news. So let's start with the good news. The good news is you are rich. Some of you got excited by that. Some of you are like, you ain't been to my house lately. Uh, you, you see the mac and cheese we had to eat last night? We're making ramen noodles at our place, right? Like some of you immediately go to all the reasons why. Nope, not us. We're not rich. You must be talking about somebody else. The danger when we read 1 Timothy 6 and the command for those who are rich is we immediately let ourselves off the hook. This passage ain't for me. This isn't for us. This is for so-and-so. In fact, most of the time, we can compare ourselves financially, and we know somebody who we think is rich. Oh, that's for them. Right? If somebody immediately comes to our mind, we don't think, hey, this passage is for me. But let me tell you this morning, the good news is you are rich. And this is massively good news. If you'll get a hold of this, this has the potential to change your life. To change the way you live, to change the way that you look at your situation, at your finances. It has the potential to change your generosity. Ecclesiastes 5.19 says this. It says, moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, this is a gift of God. The good news is you're rich. You're blessed. What do you, what do you mean by that, Pastor Troy? Give me some examples of that, how do I know that I am rich? Well, we know that you are rich by, for example, how many of you have a vehicle? Show of hands. Most of us in this room have a vehicle. Uh, if you have a vehicle, you are in the top 15% richest people on planet Earth. And that's actually a low number because the ratio is actually cars to people. We don't actually have stats on how many people actually have a car, but we know how many cars there are on planet Earth. So there is one car for 15% of the population. The reality is there's portions of the population that own a whole lot more than one car. There's rental car agencies that that car isn't owned by an individual. Chances are you're probably closer to the top 10% wealthiest people in the world simply by owning a car. And you might think, man, I'm rolling around in a beater, right? You, you, you may be so mad at your car and looking at your car, and man, it's always in the shop, and it's never reliable, and it's never dependable. And the reality is 90% of people on planet Earth would trade places with you just like that, just for your janky old junky car that you think is not special. Why? We are so rich, we can't even fathom how rich we actually are. Similar statistics for simply having running water. If you have running water, you're somewhere in the top 20% richest people in the world. I don't know, the last time you went to the sink and turned it on, it was like, I'm rich. Right? Last time you flushed your toilet and you're like, hallelujah, we are wealthy. Uh, <laughs> most of us don't think that through. Why? Because we've had it our whole lives. 
We take it completely for granted. We've never had to wonder if that's going to be there. Or if you're like us, something goes out in the plumbing and the water has to get turned off for a couple hours. And it's like, it's a disaster. It's like, man, God, why have you forsaken me? You know, because uh, we, we, we don't have access to this thing that the majority of the world doesn't have access to on a daily basis that we're so used to having. That we're used to even being able to squander and to waste. If you live in a third world country and you fathom up what does it look like for someone to be rich, they might say something like this. That there are people in the world who are so rich that they don't just have a car. They have multiple cars. He's got a car, and she's got a car, and they park those cars in houses that they build for their cars called garages, and some of them even have three-car garages, one for him and one for her and one for all the junk that they have that they can't fit in their house. That's how rich they are. They, they, they might even talk about how they have bedrooms in their houses that they call closets. And you walk into this bedroom closet, and they've got two tiers of clothing. And they can walk along their clothing and run their hands on it and say this, I don't have anything to wear. Right? Why? Because we're rich. We don't know how rich we are. We don't realize how blessed we are, what God has done for us. And I don't say that to put guilt on you or to put shame on you. I say that so you can start to make a mindset shift where you realize not just that one day you might be blessed, not just that one day you might be at a place where God's doing something. God's already doing something in your life. He's already blessed you. And I don't say that to diminish the needs in the room. Some of us are looking for jobs. Some of us are dealing with medical debt. Some of us have some real difficult situations we're going through. And I'm not trying to to act like those things aren't real at all. I know they are. But even in those situations, chances are there are literally billions of people who would trade places with you in a heartbeat. We don't realize how blessed we truly are. The good news is you are rich. Write this down if you're taking notes. God has blessed me with more than I need. I am rich. That's the definition of rich. See, the, the reality is we all have a different marker for rich, right? Years ago, Gallup did a poll, and uh, I think it was in 2011, and they haven't updated it, so I couldn't give you fresh statistics. Uh, but just to kind of illustrate this, the numbers will have shifted since then, but I think the principle is very much the same. They asked people who made $33,000 a year, what do you think is rich? What's the level at which you would feel like you were rich? And they said $75,000. They asked people who made $75,000 a year what is rich. They said $100,000. They asked people $100,000, what do you say is rich? They said $150,000. They asked people who make a million dollars a year what is rich. They said $5 million. Why? We get greedier and greedier. The more that we get, the more that we think that we need. The line for rich always shifts. Nobody ever thinks that they are rich, but I'm here to tell you that we're rich. We are so much more blessed than we realize. And if we could change our mindset and realize when Timothy says, command those who are rich in this present world, they're talking about us. They're talking about the people in this room. They're talking about the vast majority of Americans. 15% of the world has automobiles. In America, 88% of adults have their own automobile. And a lot of us have extra ones just laying around. 
Like we got bonus vehicles. Why? We're rich. We're rich. We have incredible, incredible blessings. That is great news when we realize it. The bad news is this. You're rich. The good news is you're rich. The bad news is you're rich. And that is incredibly bad news as well. This is what Jesus has a conversation in Luke chapter 18 with a, with a, a wealthy man. With a rich young ruler, you're probably familiar with it. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, what do I need to do to enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus starts calling out the commandments. He doesn't even go with the commandments of the, the vertical commands of loving God and honoring God and not worshiping idols and keeping the Sabbath. He, he goes to the horizontal commands. He starts talking about honor your father and your mother. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not commit adultery. He, he lists out these horizontal commands. And the rich young ruler says, all these I've kept since I was a child. I don't know how many of us in this room could say, I've never violated, thou shalt not lie, or thou shalt not steal, or, or all these listing of commands since I was a child. The rich young ruler looks Jesus in the eye and says, I've kept all these since I was a child, and Jesus doesn't call him out on it. Jesus doesn't challenge him on it. The implication is that he actually has. But Jesus says this, he says, go and sell all your money and give it to the, all your possessions, and give it to the poor, then you'll have treasure in heaven. And the rich young ruler walks away sad, the Bible says, because he had great wealth. Now understand this, this is the only time in scripture where Jesus ever tells, or the Bible ever tells anyone to sell all that they have and give it to the poor. The message of today, our sermon today, is not go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. That's, that's not what I'm saying. What did Jesus understood? He understand, he understood for this man, Money was the contender for his heart. That he couldn't honor God and worship God and love God because money had too much control on him. And so Jesus spoke to the, to the idol. He spoke to the thing that he worshipped. And the rich young ruler could not deny the thing that he worships. The bad news is, the Bible also teaches us that money is the number one contender for most of our hearts. And I don't think as Americans that that's lessened in our culture. I think that's increased in our culture. And so I'm not telling you to sell everything that you have. I am saying check your heart. Does your heart lean more towards money? If it does, man, let's give more of our heart to God. The bad news is you're rich. Listen to what Jesus says at the end of this, con the, this conversation with the rich young ruler. Chapter 18, verse 24 of Luke says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus says that your wealth is a great enemy of your participation in the kingdom. doesn't say he hates rich people. God blesses us. God wants us to be blessed. But he understands that if wealth gets out of control, if our richness goes too far, it can actually steal us away from the kingdom. And then he, he makes this ridiculous comparison, right? A camel going through the eye of a needle. We know that that doesn't physically work. Well, contextually in Jerusalem, there was a gate entering into the city called the eye of the needle. And the eye of the needle was the shortest gate in the city. And so what would actually have to happen is in order to get your camel into the city gate is you'd have to unpack everything off of your camel. And the camel would have to get on his knees in order to crawl through the eye of the needle. And so it was possible... But it was only possible by bending its knee. 
It was only possible by humility, by surrender, by discomfort. And so God isn't saying rich people can't go to heaven. He's just saying it's going to require some humility. It's going to require taking some things off and surrendering some things that if you don't have anything, that's not a challenge. That's not a difficult thing. But for us who are rich in this present world, it is hard for us to enter the kingdom of God. What are the problems with being rich? Well, let me give you three problems very quickly with being rich. If you're rich, the challenges are, number one, it's harder for you to depend on God. Dependence is a challenge if you are rich. It is harder for you to depend on God if you've ever done any travel into third world countries. It's amazing how much joy these people have. They don't don't have a toilet in their house, and yet they're joyful. And it's like, how does this even work? I remember working with a pastor in Mexico named Pastor Francisco Ramos. And I love saying his name because it just sounds cool. It just rolls off the tongue. Francisco Ramos. And, And Pastor Ramos, man, this family, they had nothing. And they were so excited to make tamales for our ministry team. These tamales were good, too. Can I say that? Like, this, this was legit. They, they, they gave out of their lack to us in our abundance. Why? Because they just depend on God. When you don't have anything, you can't depend on the economy. When you don't have anything, you can't depend on the bank account. When you don't have anything, you can't depend on, on the cupboard full of stuff. And so you just walk in dependence on God. You just trust God every day. It's built into the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. None of us actually pray that legitimately because we got a whole pantry full of bread and canned goods and other food. And we have the same thing we say at the closet. There's nothing to wear. We open the fridge and we're like, we got nothing to eat, Right? Because we literally have nothing to eat because we are so blessed and have so much abundance that we can say, I don't want to eat that. Why? Because we're rich. And so being rich makes it really hard to depend on God because most of us can depend on ourselves. Most of us can depend on the economy. Now, it's shaky and unstable, but for most of us, it's never let us down so far that we had to literally just depend on God. And so that dependence on God is harder for us to develop in our blessing. I've heard stories, I think it was in uh, Tommy Tenney's book, God Chasers. Uh, But he had traveled to Africa and was doing ministry in Africa. and, And he told the African pastor, he said, Pastor, we pray for you in your poverty. And we see how little you have and your people are starving. And man, we're praying for you in your poverty. And the African pastor looked at me and I said, no, Pastor, we pray for you. And your prosperity. Because we know your prosperity makes it hard for you to experience God the way that we experience God. They see miracles in the third world that we don't see a lot in America. Why? Because they have to rely and depend on God. We can rely and depend on doctors. And so we don't have to rely on God. And so we don't see God move. We don't stretch our faith and believe God to the same levels that they do in the third world. Now, again, this is not a poverty message. I'm not saying sell everything you have and move to some foreign country and and live off of scraps of rice, right? I'm not telling you to do that unless God tells you to do that. But I am saying there's there's a hurdle that's created for us. We don't have to depend on God in the same way. Second reason why richness and wealth can be a hurdle for us is wealth can distract you from true priorities. We have so much abundance that we can miss out on the simple things that God has called us to. I've, I've seen a number of people uh, over the years 
that, man, they've got so much. they got a lake house. they got a place over here. They, they've got this and they've got that. And, and it actually makes it hard for them to serve. It makes it hard for them to connect in godly community because we're always, man, out on our jet ski. And there's nothing wrong with being on a jet ski, man. I, I'm with Daniel Tosh. Like, you can't be sad on a jet ski. I get it. Like, it's a, it's a good thing. But, but if we're not careful, those good things we have can become a distraction. We have so much that we can pay thousands of dollars for our kids to be in competitive sports that take us out every weekend. And so there's six months where you don't go to church because your kid's playing softball or golf or baseball or, or whatever it is. And again, I'm not saying it's bad for your kids to be in sports. My kids are in sports. And I don't know if my kids will ever be good enough to be in competitive sports. So we might not have to wrestle with that. But, but maybe one of them will. Noah's our best shot. That's where the, the, the prayers are. Uh, that's the hope. Uh, but the reality is, man, that stuff can become a distraction from the better stuff. I'm not saying it's bad stuff. But what's the most important thing? This is more important. Connecting and building relationship and being with one another. And so wealth can distract us from true priorities. 1 Timothy 6 puts it this way a little early in the passage. It says, those who want to get rich, most of us probably wouldn't call ourselves rich, but if we were real honest, we'd say we'd like to be rich, right? We're like, yes, sign me up for being rich. Whatever that level is to us, whatever place we would say that is. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Why? For the love of money, not money, but the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. Money's not bad. Money's not good. Money's not bad. Money's just money. Money's a tool. It can be a good thing. It can be a bad thing. It can be used for God's glory. It can be used to harm people. Money can be anything that we want it to be. But the love of money can be a root of all kinds of evil. Where are we placing our heart? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so when we become obsessed with money, we become focused on money, when we're constantly checking our, our 401k, we're constantly checking our investments, we're constantly checking our accounts, and we're constantly thinking about how to get more money, we can begin to be distracted from what's truly important. Third reason why being rich can be bad news is when you're rich, you have a greater responsibility. You have a greater responsibility. God's word puts it this way, to whom much is given, much is expected, much is required. To whom much is given, much is expected. When I was uh, a senior in high school, right, just the summer before my senior year, um, I got a job for the first time, I got a real job. I had worked for my parents, and, you know, like I got a paycheck, but it's still not a real job when your parents hire you because there's not like an interview process or an application. Uh, so I had been blessed with that job. But I got my first real job, which you guys have probably heard about, was at Taco Bell, right? So I, so I got this job at Taco Bell the summer before my senior year, and I made a decision uh, because I was going to be working a lot more, um, I was going to drop down from two AP classes my senior year to one. I had AP, uh, I think, uh, I don't even remember what the other one, it was AP English, yeah. I had AP English, I was going to take that, um, and I also was signed up for AP US History. And AP US History was the hardest class in our school. Uh, and I decided, you know what, I'm going to take it easy, I'm going to take some pressure off of myself. And so I went in to drop AP US History. And as I talked to with my, my teacher, 
Mr. Carver, and I told him, hey, you know what, Mr. Carver, I'm not going to do this class. I just got a job. I need some time. He, he puts his arm around me, and I'll never forget it, and he walks me over to the, the sign on his wall. You know how teachers have, like, all the quotes on the wall? So he, he had his teacher quote, and it said right there, it's this verse, to whom much is given, much is required. He said, Troy, you know you need to be in that class. And I wish I could tell you that I repented and I relented and I said, you're right, Mr. Carver. That's not what I said. I said, no, I'm still dropping the class. Thanks anyway. Uh, so, um, <laughs> good try. <laughs> not going to work. So I dropped the class. I didn't take AP history and I had to take it in college, whatever. Uh, the reality is, though, to whom much is given, much is expected. If we're rich, if most of us in this room are in the richest 10% of people in the world, there's a higher level of expectation on us than there is on the average believer. And so it is very good news that we're rich. It's incredibly good news, but it's also bad news perhaps for some of us. Because God's going to hold us to a higher standard than he is just any old average Joe, it can be bad news for us because we have a greater responsibility, because wealth can distract us from true priorities, and it's harder for us to depend on God. So as we close today our message and, and get ready for something at the end of service a little bit different, how do you make room for generosity? How do we do this? I want to give you three very, very quick things you can do to begin making room for generosity. The first one is this. We've kind of already hit it, but let's make it explicit. Number one, recognize how rich you already are. If you define yourself as poor, if you define yourself by your lack, if you define yourself by what you don't have, you're going to hold on to every little bit you get. But when you realize globally, historically, and by the way, people globally have more now than they have in any other generation. So if we're in the top 10% of people on planet Earth today, that means you're in the top 10% of people in wealth in history. Of people who have ever lived on this earth, you are in the top 10% Richest people of all time. It's kind of mind-blowing when you think about it. Recognize how rich you already are. We've got to get this mindset down that, God, I'm not lacking. Got to have more than enough to meet my needs. Yes, there may be things that I'm believing for. There may be areas we want to see improve. There may be some mistakes that I've made financially where, where I don't have enough to, to bless others. Why, why do we feel poor? Most of the time we feel poor because we consume everything that God gives us. A lot of us end beyond. So we feel poor because we live beyond our means. You would think that would make us feel richer, but it also actually makes us feel poor because we feel like we don't have enough to take care of what we've already committed. And so we got to retrain our priorities and to realize, you know what, I'm rich, which means I should have more than enough, which means I shouldn't be spending and using everything I have. I should have more than enough to be a blessing to the people around me. Number one, recognize how rich you already are. When we realize we are rich, we realize that we have room. To be generous. We've got room. We've got the ability to be a blessing. So that's number one. Number two, choose contentment with what you have. Choose contentment with what you have. Instead of always needing more, instead of always needing something bigger, instead of always having another project on the line, here's where we're going next. Here's the next loan we're getting. Here's the next thing we're doing. As soon as this paid off, we're going to put, put, make a new loan for this. Choose contentment with what you have. First Timothy 6 says this. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Man, I wonder how many of us could see some incredible gain in our relationship with God. Some incredible gain in our ability to be generous, in our ability to be used by God to make a great difference because we just choose contentment. 
yes, God, there's some things that I'd love to have. Yes, there's some things I'd love to see. But, God, I'm content with what I've got. God, you've given me more than enough. God, you've blessed me with more than enough. I'm going to choose contentment, Paul says to Timothy, verse 7. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. It's like a paraphrase of my dad. I brought you into the world. I could take you out of it, right? Uh, but, but he says, you didn't come into this world with anything. You came in naked with nothing, and you're going to leave with nothing. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with what we have. God's standard is, hey, I want to bless you, and I want you to have more than enough, but I want you to be happy if all you got is food and clothes. If you just got enough to wear and enough to eat, that you recognize I've met your needs. I've met you right where you're at. I've done enough for you, and I want to do more than enough for you, and I want to give you more than that, and I want to bless you, but I want you to be content at that level. That's a big, I'll be honest, I got a long way to go to be content at that level. This is not me standing on this stage preaching down at the failures in the room. Come be more like me. I've, I've got room to grow when it comes with contentment with what I have for sure. We're going to choose contentment. We're going to realize that we're rich. And that rich, that understanding that means we've got room to be generous. We're going to choose contentment. And then thirdly, we're going to set generosity into our budgets. Set generosity into your budget. This is the practical step. So the, the first one has to do with the mind. The second one has to do with the heart. The third one has to do with the actual wallet, with the checkbook, right? Now, there, there is a assumption embedded into this statement. The assumption is that you have a budget. Uh, so if you do not have a budget, the first step is to get a budget. Uh, if you don't know where your money is going, you're never going to be able to be generous with it. Or if you're like me, I, when I didn't have a budget and I had no clue where my money was going, I was good at being generous. I was just terrible at being a steward. Uh, and so I'd give money away. I'd buy stuff for people. Uh, and then I'd have mass amounts of credit card debt. Uh, and that's not God's plan for us either. Okay? So God wants to basically, you can sum up every verse in the Bible on, on money, and there are literally thousands of them. Every verse in the Bible on money comes down to two things, generosity and stewardship. These are the two biblical principles. And so a budget gives us the ability to have both. How am I stewarding what God has blessed me with? How am I taking care of what I've been given and entrusted with? And how do I make room, make margin in my budget so that we can be generous? Set generosity into your budget. God's called us to be generous people. And so we need to plan to be generous. Sometimes God's Holy Spirit is going to speak and it's going to be outside of our budget, and we're just going to have to step out in faith and give and be a blessing. And, man, when God's spirit speaks, we need to listen. And so I'm not talking about limiting what God can do, but, but I do believe that actually boundaries provide freedom. And when you say, okay, I'm going to live at this amount, and we're going to leave this much extra, we're going to leave this much margin, so that when we see a need, when something arises, like we can step in immediately and meet that. Because we're not consuming everything we've been given we're making sure that we live at a healthy level where now, God, now you can actually pray, God, use me. God, give me an opportunity to be a blessing to somebody today. That's a scary prayer for a lot of us because we don't have any margin. And so if God brought us somebody who needed something, now we're panicking. What do I do? Because we want to meet their need. We want to be a blessing. We want to be helpful. But we feel like we don't have enough. And so this is not an overnight message. This is not something that you're going to go home tonight and, and everything is fixed tonight. This is a long-term message that I'm going to begin to make some decisions in my finances that maybe are a lot different than what I've lived up before. 
Maybe they're a lot different than what you grew up with. My family did not steward money well. We, did not, we were not taught this principle of budgeting well. Um, trust me, we're, we're going through my mom's stuff right now, who just recently passed away, and there is so much stuff she did not need, and it's heartbreaking. Because, like, man, what a difference we could have made if we hadn't just loaded on all this stuff that never got used. And the reality is my mom's not that big of an exception. There's a lot of us who live at that same place. So let's get on a budget. Uh, let's spend less than we make. That's the next step. Uh, and let me just, as, as we wrap this up real quick, I'm going to give you some questions that you can ask when you're building your budget. Questions to ask about generosity. The number one question is this, are you tithing? And when I say are you tithing, I don't mean are you giving. I mean are you actually giving the first 10%. Because uh, for some of us, we, we may have started tithing a long time ago, and we've stayed at that same living and le level, and we've had five raises since we started tithing. And so it may have been a tithe at one point, doesn't mean it's a tithe now. For others of us, it may just be a, a small amount that we've set aside. And, and let me say this, I've, I've come a long way in my interpretation of this. Before, there was a point in my life where I would have told you, if you're not tithing, just start tithing today and trust God and go all in. And... I've seen other areas where it's like, you know what, if it's a drug addict, I'm not going to say you'd never do a drug again. It's like, let's start tapering off. Let's, let's go to rehab. Let's, let's start moving in the right direction, right? And so if you've got to start moving in the right direction of tithing, take a step towards God. Man, if you're at zero right now, go to 3%. And that 3% may seem like the biggest stretch. Just watch what God does as you start moving. If you're at 3%, go to 6. If you're at 6, go to 10, right? Like, take a step. That, that isn't just a comfortable step. I'm not saying to just take an easy step. I'm saying stretch your faith. Do something that goes a little bit beyond what you're comfortable with. But if 10% is just completely unrealistic and you're like, we're, we're, I'm going to prison if I start tithing 10% because there's just no way I'm going to pay my bills. If you can't get to 10, just start moving that way. But I promise if you start moving in God's direction, he's going to start moving towards you. If you start drawing towards him and your finances, he's going to draw towards you and your finances. And you're going to see I can get to 10% a lot quicker than I thought that I could. So are you tithing? Second question then, is there margin above the tithe? See, the tithe should be built in, but that shouldn't be the limit of our generosity. Tithing is actually the interest point. It's actually the first place. You guys have heard us talk before about we, we, we try to increase our giving percentage every year. Every year we want to give a little bit more and a little bit more. And every year God meets us where we're at. Every year God meets us at the point of our faith. And so maybe you've been at 10% for a long time. And you've been coasting on that. And it's been good and God's been blessing you. Maybe now's the time to go to 12. Maybe you do like we did and just jump from 10 to 15. That was the one big jump we made every other year. It's like a percent, half a percent, quarter percent. But, but we did. We went from 10 to 15. And we saw God move more in 2012 when we went 10 to, from 10 to 15 than, than anything we've ever done. Why? Because you can't outgive him. Is there margin above your tithe? We, we have a tithe category in our budget. We also have a giving category in our budget where now that's money that's set aside that we don't know where it's going. We just know there's going to be a need. We just know that God's going to present an opportunity, and we want to be able to respond when that opportunity comes. And so is there margin above your tithe? And then thirdly, ask yourself this, what moves my heart? What moves my heart? In other words, are, are there things, a, a missionary, a part of the world, a specific need, maybe for you it's clean water. 
Maybe for you, it's, it's a specific disease. Maybe for you, it's any of a number of other things. But what moves your heart? If there's something that you're passionate about, you probably, that's a good indicator that that's something you should be given towards. Okay? Factor that into your budget. So I asked our ushers to come forward. You guys can start passing these out. We are going to launch a giving campaign today. Um, and, and guys know this. I'm horrible at asking for money. This is, the, the, I look at other pastors who are really good at this, and they're slick, and they're passionate, and they cast these amazing visions, and I'm like, man, I wish I could be like them. I hate asking for money. This is not something I enjoy, but I know this. I know two things. I know you're going to be blessed if you give, and how the kingdom's going to grow if we give. And so we're launching a giving campaign today, a Make Room Giving campaign. You can see details on your card. Um, we're asking people to make pledges by the end of next month, April 30th, uh, and we're going to be collecting through those pledges through August 27th. Here's our goal. We want to raise $40,000. $40,000 by August, uh, the end of August. And here's what we want to do with it. We've got a number of things in our facility that need some attention. Uh, God has blessed us with this facility. Uh, to whom much is given, much is expected. And so I think there's some things expected of us. What do we need to do, Pastor Troy? Well, for instance, um, you can probably see, look at your card on the front side of your card. Look at how beautiful that is. Thank you, Susan, for printing these off for us. Uh, now look at the screen. Look at how horrible that image looks on our screen. Uh, when we moved into this building, we bought a brand new projector, uh, and we cannot find a bulb to replace this projector bulb with, and it has just deteriorated and deteriorated and deteriorated over time. We need to upgrade our screen. Why, do, why is that important? Because all of our audio, all of our visual, all of this stuff is here to remove distractions so you can hear from God. So when an image goes up on the screen and you can't read it, and you got to squint and you're leaning in, what does that do? It takes you out of hearing from the Holy Spirit, and it makes you say, why did they choose that color? Like, what, did, they, did they not test this graphic on the screen? We have a very, very limited color palette that looks any good on our screen right now. And that may seem super unspiritual and insignificant, but it helps us reach people. It helps us point people to Jesus. And so we need to upgrade our screen. Um, we have had our worship team begging for a new soundboard for years and years and years and years and years. Uh, and I would like to answer that call uh, and, and get a digital soundboard that we can program and set. And it doesn't matter what happens in the room or who comes in. We can just hit a button and everything's right back where it needs to be. Uh, and so that's an investment we would like to make. So there's a few investments up here. We're, we're going to cut grooves in our stage. You see all these cords and how sloppy they look? We're going to cut grooves in our stage and put grading in so we can bury all those cords and remove. Why does all this stuff matter? Because all this stuff gives the enemy something to take your mind off of what's going on, on in the service. And so you can pick apart what's going on on the stage. Right? And so all of it is to eliminate distractions. Not just so you can hear from God. Because, man, you may be spiritually mature enough that you don't notice those things. You may be spiritually mature enough that you don't care about those things. And praise God if you are. But that doesn't mean the next family coming in is going to be at that level. Because we're called to reach people who aren't spiritually mature. We're called to reach people who are far from God. And by the way, we're doing that. We've seen seven people get saved in the last four weeks at City Church. God is moving. He's doing something awesome. I don't know why I just held up a four while I said seven. I guess it's four weeks. Uh, so my mind got, went to four, and I'm like, why do I have four fingers up? All right. Uh, that's why. Seven people have come to Jesus. Why? Because it's happening. I'm not saying that these things can't happen without it. I'm just saying if we can do these things, it will be even better. What else do we need to do? 
when we moved into this building five and a half years ago, we had horrible, horrible carpet downstairs in our 662 auditorium. That carpet is still there. Uh, it has not been upgraded. Uh, it's one of, there's literally two last things from when we first moved in that have always needed to be addressed that haven't been addressed. One of them is the carpet downstairs. The other is the carpet in our offices. Um, they, those are the last pieces of the new building puzzle that we have not yet addressed. We want to get new carpet. Not the greatest, not the fanciest carpet, but decent carpet where our students don't have to see, you know, stuff that's been there for 20 years uh, from, from however many previous editions of church that have met in this building. Uh, we we want to bless our students with some upgrades to the, to the youth department, um, to, to the youth facility, stuff that we've been had lined up for a number of months to put into this giving campaign. Uh, we're excited to do that. There's some stuff we need to do in Kid City as well. Um, so we're going to invest in the next generation uh, to make sure that we have the best possible resources to love on people. Uh, Kid City is busting at the seams, especially in first service. First service, man, those classrooms are, are overwhelmed and overflowing. And so we need to come up with some solutions. Um, and we've got some really good ideas. Uh, and so our goal is to raise $40,000. These improvements won't happen overnight. Uh, but over the next, what, five, six months, uh, as this money comes in, we're, we're going to be able to start making these things happen. So here's what I ask you to do, and I'll close with this. Just pray about this. Pray about how God would cause you to be generous. Pray about how can we make room in our finances, in our situation, in generosity. And so uh, the first thing, if you're not tithing, I just ask you to start tithing. There's a checkbox right here. Man, I or we pledge to begin tithing 10% on our income. Uh, if you can do that, that'll make a massive difference, not just for us, but for you. Because that's a habit that you can build, uh, and you're going to see God move as you honor him in your finances. Maybe you're at that place that we talked about, I'm at zero, and there's no way we can go to 10. So put, man, we pledge to go from 0% to 3%, or to 5%, or from 3% to 7 or whatever that step is. Take a step towards what God has for you, and watch as he meets you where you're at. Some of us are at 10%. Some of us are above 10%. What would God lead you to do? Just pray about it. I'm not God. I don't know who God's going to use or how God's going to use certain people, who's going to give the biggest percentage. I don't know any of that. I know God's going to provide $40,000 for a church. I know the improvements are going to make an impact. We're going to see more people getting saved. We're going to see more families getting discipled. We're going to see God move in people's lives because you chose to be generous, because you chose to honor God. So just honestly pray about it. When I say pray about it, not just like one prayer as we pray about it this morning and then you're out the door and the card like slides between the seat and the console and you forget about it until uh, I'm talking about make this a matter of prayer multiple times a week between now and the end of April. Have conversations as a family, as a couple. What, what, what would God lead? What, what do you think? What's God putting on your heart? The way Melly and I do it is we ask ourselves what, what number are you hearing? And highest number always wins. Uh, we just believe that, that God's always going to be in the bigger number. And so whichever one of us has, has the greater faith, we're going to step up on their faith. Uh, and we're going to trust each other. And we've, it's been both of us at different times. Uh, it's been her who stretched me. And it's been me who stretched her. And, and God has used us. And, and every time that we've stepped out, we've seen God provide. And I believe with all my heart, you'll see the same thing. So that's where we're headed. That's what we're doing. Um, we'll mention this. 
over the next few weeks, a little bit here and there, kind of an announcement, maybe an offering time, so you'll have reminders. We'll have cards at the Connection Centers. If you do lose your card, it's not the end of the world. You didn't just miss out on being part of the campaign because you lost your card. Um, but we want you to have this physical copy to take home. Put it on your fridge, on your dash. Put it somewhere you're going to see it where it's going to cause you to pray. Number one, God, how would you have us to participate? And then once that question is answered, number two, God, move on our church to be generous. Use this campaign to reach people. Father, I mean, start making that the prayer as you settle on what God would lead you to do. You can turn the cards in any time between now and April 30th. Our giving boxes, uh, our giving stations, our offering buckets, whatever it might be. Um, turn them in any of those ways, and let's watch God move. Would you stand and pray with me as we wrap up church?